positive rotation. Ignition. You guys have a nice flight. We'll see you back here. Welcome to Roll Call, a 126 The Air Refueling Wing podcast of the Illinois Air National Guard at Scott Air Force Base. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Brian Ellison. The Roll Call podcast focused on people, mission, and community. Thank you for listening. Coming up, Chief Master Sergeant Dave Blankenship from the 126th Maintenance Squadron will uh, find out if the maintenance group is raising another banner this year. Also, coming up at the end of the podcast, we're going to hear Father Ted Burnt reading of a soldier's silent night. Soldier being used as the generic term for any member of the military. And here joining me, a special guest for the podcast, my son, Sam Ellison. Hello. What, what's so funny? <laughs> you. What? You're so serious. Oh, am I? Am I not usually this serious? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's just part of the job. It's what I do. Yeah. So, uh, you enjoying your Christmas vacation so yeah. far? So good? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are you looking forward to about this Christmas? Gifts. Gifts. What are you looking, what are you hoping to get this year? Uh, um, well, clothes. So, what else are <laughs> you hoping to get for Christmas this year besides clothes? Um, I guess a new mic. A new, what? Mic. A new mic? Yeah. Oh, you want a new microphone? Yeah. Oh, wow. Only my son would say he wants a new microphone for Christmas. I don't know any kid, any other ten-year-old that wants a microphone for Christmas. Not that I know. Maybe there are others out there. Yeah, there are. What are you gonna do with a, a microphone? Talk. Talk to who? Or what? What are you gonna record a podcast yourself? Yeah, I guess I might. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's supposedly winter times. You know that? Does it feel like winter time? No, also? no, not at all. Does no. It? Yeah, and we're waiting for the snow to come, and I don't think we're going to get any snow this year. No. You don't think we're going to get any nope. snow at all? Not until January. Not until oh oh, I'm talking about winter time. Oh, we might get some snow. You think we're going to get some snow? Chance. You think Small there's chance. a chance of? You think it'll ever get cold enough for snow? How about that? Like a significant amount of snow? Maybe. You think maybe we'll get a we'll get a significant? We might on New Year's Day. We might on New Year's Day. Are we putting money on this? No. <laughs> Gambling's bad. It, don't don't gamble. You don't think so? What is your deal with uh, the snow? It's coming or not coming? I don't know. I'm not a weatherman. You're not a weatherman. No, I Do can't. Do you think that maybe we'll get some snow this winter time? Possibly. Possibly. Which uh, yeah, that's about where I'm at with that. But if there is. Uh, you know, uh, snow or ice or what have you, and you need to come on base and you need to know if we have work or, or what have you, you can call the Scott Air Force Base Information Hotline, 618-256-7232, or check out the uh, Scott Air Force Base Facebook page or the 126th uh, Air Refueling Wing Facebook page to find out if we are going to indeed have some sort of delay or snow day, which... Is everybody's favorite. Except for now, because now we have AMI days. Oh, AMI days. What are those? They're like... Instead of having... Kids don't have snow days anymore. Except for after four days. Otherwise, like we can only have four days of of uh, AMI. AMI is AMI, like... AMI, yeah. It's like... Alternative something school or something like that. And, yeah. And Alternative something instruction. Yeah, and... So it's like teleworking. 
But for kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least I think we might have more snow days than you. We might, uh, not that we'll ever get snow this year or this winter. What's wrong with your face? What are you doing to your face? Do you realize we're on the microphone right now? (laughs) (laughs) You're goofy. The 126 Air Refueling Wing Mentorship Program is up and running. If you want to find out more, you can uh, go to their Linktree account. It's linktr.ee forward slash 126ARWMentorship. Coming up here on Roll Call, we're going to be talking with Chief Master Sergeant Dave Blankenship. He's from the 126th Maintenance Group. And uh, Sam, so the, we have these, we have groups, right? The wing yeah. is divided up into four groups. We have the med group, the medical group. Mm. We have the operations group. We have the mission uh, support group. What is that? Uh, mission support group. They do. That's where the cops are. Uh, oh. The civil engineers are. Our friends over here next door to us at the, the, um, the uh, what is it called? The uh, force support squadron. They do like all like paperwork and stuff like that. <laughs> Take, keep track of all our paper and whatnot. You guys have to do paperwork? Well, we don't have to do paperwork. They do that for us, like all the personnel stuff, like when we get awards or st- stuff like that. And then there's the maintenance group. These guys are pretty big, a pretty big deal. We're going to talk with uh, Chief Blankenship about how big of a deal uh, the maintenance group is coming up right here on Roll Call.
Joining me today from the 126th Maintenance Group is Chief Master Sergeant Blankenship, the father of previous guest Master Sergeant William Blankenship. Chief Blankenship is, uh, what's your, you're with the component maintenance, is that right? So part of uh, MXS, the maintenance squadron, and uh, my section is the component maintenance. So what do you guys do uh, in component maintenance? So component maintenance is uh, the back shops, hydro, electric shop, avionics, jet shop, and fuel cell. So you guys uh, cover a lot. How important, you know, are those guys to uh, the success of, of, the, of the group? I mean, you guys... I mean, you guys are rock stars. As William said, you guys are the St. Louis Cardinals, which I like. The St. Louis Cardinals of uh, KC-135 maintenance. So the back shops are pretty important, right? The specialists are who man those back shops. And, uh, you know, what the crew chiefs do out on the line is, is super important, getting the jet ready to fly. But when those systems that are on the plane break... It's my shops that go out there and, and fix those systems. And it takes that specialized knowledge, the training, the experience for those guys to, to do their job, whether it be avionics, hydro, E&E, fuel cell, or jets. Uh, it's, it, those are all specialties. So they are trained in those specialties to do those jobs. And then, you know, if they do any cut training, like when they go to the deed or whatever, then then they'll get trained on some of those tasks like launching the airplane or recovering it, but mostly they are trained in their specialty. So you guys really work, I mean, the whole group works as a team to make sure that you guys can you know, get these, uh, these planes Absolutely. in Absolutely. It's, it's like your hand and your fingers, and it takes all your fingers to keep the hand working properly, right? Right. What's your, uh, what is the squ- your squadron? You said MXS, right? Right, maintenance squadron. So what is your uh, squadron's role in the ISO doc? What, what are you guys, when you guys get into uh, the ISO? So the ISO is um, part of MXS, uh, even though it's crew chiefs that run the, the dock, there are crew chiefs that are assigned to MXS. Uh, when my shops go over there, they have carded items that are their items that they have to complete as a part of that whole package. So when we talk about Project 14, Project 14 is the flow of those cards that we've come up with in, in, uh, the, at the 126 to make it more efficient of how we execute those cards. But those cards are done by uh, not only the crew chiefs, but the back shops as well. So uh, Jet Shop, for instance, they do a complete engine ISO that is part of the ISO, but it could be done separately. Avionics does their own package of cards that could be done separately, but because of the flow that we use here, uh, we incorporate it into the ISO. So what are the cards that you guys are talking about? Is that like the TOs? The tech data, yes. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And so you guys all, you guys are amazing at this. You guys can do this in less than 14 days. You guys call it ISO 14 or what have you, Project 14. Project 14. Uh, but you guys can do it in less than that, correct? Um, we've done it in eight days uh, by by running two shifts. Yes. Wow. What What's your What was your role in uh, developing uh, the ISO the Project Fourteen? So it was a it was a total group effort. Um, when When we set out to uh, put the cards into a swim lane format, um, we got all the shops together, and the shops said yes or no. I can do this in my six hours of touch time each day. And so the shops were, um, they were intimate in that process of deciding, can we do it on this day or not? And that was the goal, was to have that six hours of touch time per day. 
and that way you get those items done in, in that day and then you can go to the gym or do whatever you got to do that day and that was always the goal and before that it was rush 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 work as hard as you can all day long we have an iso going on oh i can't go to the gym because i have an iso going on right now it's 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 more formatted it's more laid out it's it's uh it's very predictable so I know what ISO stands for, but for our listeners, what does ISO stand for? It is uh, isochronal inspection. Okay. Don't ask me what isochronal means. Sounds fancy. I need to get my dictionary That's out. That's all right. It sounds yeah. fancy. I like yeah. it. That's good. One thing, I, you guys aren't, you aren't, you don't do, I got I to gotta tell you this, okay? I know you, you, you aren't in charge of the metal shop though, right? Metal Fab, shop doesn't. Fab is Chief Durant. Okay. Well, I still got to, you know, it's MXS, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to brag a little bit here. I had a, uh, I was working in Springfield, and I had a, a last-minute thing that I had to get done for uh, because I was so I was working in Springfield at uh, J five three, part of the uh, state partnership plans, uh, and we were going to go to Poland in September, and uh, I needed a, an award for General Mika. We wanted to give a gift to General Mika. He's the second highest general in the Polish land forces. And uh, I had I I knew our metal shop was really good. Let me tell you how good Master Sergeant Casey Esker did. I mean, he was he put together a plaque that was just amazing. I, I, and I think everybody was uh, everybody was thrilled with uh, how how well he he uh, put that together in a short time. He did it in like a week. It was like, yeah, we're we're in between ISOs, so yeah, I can do it. And holy cow, did he put together a fantastic looking uh, out of uh, I guess. Uh, it's aluminum, so I guess it was a piece of a plane or something. I don't know exactly, but uh, carved it out, shape of Illinois, had the, the, the uh, Minuteman on it. It was just uh, it was amazing. So that's a lot like uh, all the shops. I like to brag about my shops. Um, we definitely have the best mechanics in the world working for us in the 126, um, bar none. It's amazing. And you know what's cool is to think that, you know, what uh, – Sergeant Esker did is going to be hanging up at the Polish land forces for who knows how long. So his, you know, his, his legacy will live on. People will look at that hopefully in a hundred years and be like, Oh, that's really cool. That's cool. Are are you guys involved? Are you involved anyway in this virtual reality thing? Uh, Yeah. So um, when the virtual team came in here and they wanted to do some virtual reality stuff, they had uh, different items that they wanted to look at, like, uh, using the COM1 radio or uh, changing a centering cylinder or, you know, any task that um, a specialist or a crew chief could do on an airplane, right? Um, and they had a list of items, um, and we tried to knock those out. Uh, so our specialists went up there. Uh, some of the guys from avionics went up, and they did a demo on how to operate the COM1 because COM1 is your emergency radio. It's the only radio in the airplane that works off battery power. Oh, wow. um, so when they're going to do a tow – or something like that, uh, they have to use COM1. That's cool. Uh, I was over there last week. I got some pictures of them uh, taking pictures of, uh, of uh, Grote and them taking apart. I guess they were – they kept having to go over how to I guess, take, a, take a tire off. That was mm-hmm. – uh, that's really cool. So, so that's going to help you guys – is that going to help – is that going to help you guys out at MXS with uh, the, doing these virtual reality tools? So, yeah, I think so. Um, so 
anytime you're doing a task like that, sometimes mu muscle memory yeah. can play a factor in that. Even though you're using tech data the entire time um, to go in, uh, maybe take a brand new guy who just came out of tech school and give him the ability to do it in the virtual environment before he touches an airplane. Maybe his trainer is too busy doing something else so he could go into the training office and put on the VR and just do it on his own while following uh, the cards and the task that is in the virtual reality because you access tech data from within it. Um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a highly useful tool. Have you played um, with it yet? I've not put it on. I've, I've, uh, I've played with other virtual reality yeah. uh, simulations. Um, one where you walk the plank and jump off a, a plank off of a building. Yeah. Um, and uh, the sensation is, is very bizarre. It yeah. is. Yeah, they were telling, the VR guys were telling me they have to actually make it less, they have to look, they have to play with how your equilibrium can be thrown off. So they got to really be, oh, we, we, were, we had one in here. Uh, we were playing with one in here. And what is that, the Oculus? Mm. And, and you're in some RV or something, and I tried to put my hand on uh, on what I thought was a file desk drawer, and it, it wasn't there. It had to. That, was, that is a trip. Right. That is so cool. How uh, how how neat. Yeah, it's gonna be. Uh, that's that's gonna be exciting to see. It was exciting to see uh, uh, Lieutenant Bloomfield go through it. He went through uh, I think some procedures on the C130. Yeah. And and, and then what's cool is you don't need. Um, you don't need a big room for that. Right. I don't think it's something that's going to take you all the way to being signed off on a task. Obviously not. You, you have to do that with your trainer. But it is something that um, I think for familiarity, mm -hmm. it's a useful tool. Yeah. Um, so you and I, we went to uh, Poland uh, in <clears throat> August. August. Right. What would you, because I was surprised to hear that there's some people that don't want to go to Poland. What would you say to an airman that doesn't want to go to Poland? What, I mean, besides what's wrong with you? Yeah, that, I mean, obviously, uh, what is wrong with them? Uh, I don't know. I've not heard of anyone not wanting to go to Poland. Um, I'm a big advocate of it. I, I got to get into, uh, in 2018 on the ground floor where we were just going into Poland for the first time. Um, Peoria obviously had had, uh, had a state partnership with Peoria for 25 years or, or, or longer. Really? Um, wow. They, they'd been very involved. Um, and when the state got us involved with their refueling with their F-16s, um, it was an opportunity for us to open that door. But uh, what would I say to somebody that doesn't want to go to Poland? Like, why not? Um, come, come along with us, and uh, as long as we, we have a spot for them um, to perform the mission – and, uh, you know, work hard, play hard. Uh, so we go there, we do the mission, we refuel the F-16s uh, and uh, keep our jets going while we're there. And then uh, when we go back to the hotel, everything is right there. All the restaurants are oh, right yeah, there. Oh, amazing. Um, a beautiful city that we stay in, in, in Genizno. Yep. Um, and, you know... Why would you not want to go? It's, right. it's a beautiful place to be. The weather has always been good when we go. I don't know how we've, how we've been <laughs> that lucky, would. but the weather has been fantastic. I don't think it gets really hot there because there's not a lot of air conditioning there like there is here. Um, and it, it's just a beautiful place to visit. The people are awesome there. Uh, I'm the biggest salesman when it comes to Poland because I, I love it there. I think it's a beautiful place to go visit. Um, and it's a great opportunity for us to go – make that partnership work.
Right. What's that? What's that like on the maintenance side? Because I, I, I wish I would have been. Uh, how close are you guys working with the Polish uh, Air Force when you guys? <clears throat> so we've are worked there. We worked really close with them. Um, the Polish Air Force, they will go out of their way to make sure that we don't miss a mission, that the U.S. doesn't miss a mission. Um, we've, we've done a lot of things to try to, to uh, make ourselves useful to them as well. Um, Master Sergeant Brian Kirby, when we were there, uh, was talking to their R&R shop and discovered that they had a jacking manifold that they didn't know how to use on their airplanes. Uh, so wow. he got in their tech data and worked with them and trained them on how to jack an airplane with a jacking manifold, which then makes the airplane uh, go up and down with in synchronous with all the people working at the same time, right? Oh, okay. But what they were doing, when they weren't using the jacking manifold, they were using manual, and they were hand-jacking the airplane. And they said <clears throat> they had times where they had jacked an airplane three times in one day. Uh, that's a workout, right? Yeah. So Brian really helped them. And then the next time we went, he went and checked in with them again, made sure they were still using the manifold and that they were still... Uh, still getting it to work, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What, what, do you, what, do you see, what do you see the main takeaway is when, when uh, troops, airmen come back from... What do you think they learn when they come back from... While they're there in Poland and when they, and when they come back? Well, you know, I, it's, not, it's not a place like Ali Deed where you're where you're getting all this experience in, right. in, in, um, in two months, right? Um, but I think, if anything, it helps foster those relationships, not only with the Polish, but with, with our maintenance group, maybe outside the maintenance group with ops uh, or comm or PA, right? Mm -hmm. where you, that's where you get out of your shell and you get to know some people that maybe you didn't know. Yeah. Right in the 126. I know that was everybody's like, well, who are you? I'm like, I'm PA. I'm exactly. Like, you guys haven't seen me. I've been. To, I know I'm. I feel like I'm in maintenance a lot, but maybe not. I, right. Maybe I need to get more over it, there. Perfect example. More often, yeah. <clears throat> so we mentioned it. Uh, your son William uh, serves alongside you. What's uh, What's it like to have uh, a son in uh, in the same unit and be able to have that opportunity to have your your son in the same uh, air wing as you? So it's awesome. Um, before William, my son Andrew, uh, who's my oldest son, oh, yeah, right. was in conflict, uh, and I believe he worked out here for six or seven years full time. But he was in the guard for about thirteen years uh, before he left the one twenty six. Um, so it's awesome. Um, it's great to have your sons work alongside you. Um, uh, same with having William here. Uh, it's it's really awesome to have uh, family here. But I'll tell you this, uh, I tell people when they come in on their newcomer's briefing, um, we're family in the guard, right? Mm -hmm. And then I use my own children being in the guard, an example of, hey, we're family. We, we travel the world together. We work every day together. We spend more time here than we do with our own families a lot of time. Um, and then we check out and we go around the world together, right? We are one big family. And you know, a lot of us are here 20 plus years in the 126. You really get to know people. But having your sons work alongside you, it's, it's a whole nother level of, of uh, it's very satisfying. It's satisfying to see my sons um, achieve more than I've achieved in, in a shorter amount of time. Yeah. Um, make rank faster than I've made rank. Really? Um, uh, really be respected people within the, in the wing. It's, it's very satisfying. Um, you made the trip. What was that? You made the trip down from Chicago. What was the, what was that trip? You right? You made that trip. 
Yeah. So uh, in in '99 when we were bracked uh, from Chicago, um, obviously uh, William was gosh, how old was he at the time? He might have been uh, seven or eight. Wow. And uh, Andrew's three years older than him, so they were in grade school, um, and uh, we sold our house there. And the city of Chicago paid for all of it, paid for realtors' fees, paid for us to move all our household goods. Um, you know, obviously, they didn't buy our house. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but... But that's a big chunk when you're yeah. talking about those kind of benefits. Um, so it was beneficial to us. It was, it was easier on me than the rest of the family because, again... I moved with this big 126 family, right. whereas they were leaving. My wife left her job in Joliet. Um, my kids left their schools, and and so they were more uprooted than I was. Um, obviously, the rest of my family, my extended family, is still in in the Joliet area, Chicago area. But um, you know, that, that's a short car trip away yeah. to get home. Um, but it, it was it was good. It was exciting. We. In the same time that we moved here, um, our jets went through a Pacer Craig conversion. And so uh, we started receiving jets here that had been modified oh, and really? then going through that whole process. And really, um, that was one of the busiest times of my entire career because when those jets came back, it took a lot for us to not only learn those new systems, but to get them flying again. What were those changes? Some of those changes, do you remember? So we went from a 1950s cockpit uh, oh, sure. steam gauge to our, our current glass cockpit configuration. Not, not completely the current. You know, we've gone through iterations of, uh, of block changes. That was like block 27 when we first, and we're on block 45 now. Holy cow. So, but that was, it was a, that was a big change. It was huge, and we spent a lot of hours here um, working those problems out. We went through a, a big manning change, so... Um, in the, I was in ComNav at the time, and in ComNav, I was the only full-time person that moved down here. Oh, wow. Um, out of a shop of six. So um, then we had to grow the shop back to a full-time force again, and, uh, and a lot of the part-timers left, too. So uh, it was a big change for, for us, for sure. Have you been in maintenance this whole time, your whole career? Yeah, I've always been in maintenance. I was uh, four years active duty, and then I got off okay. active duty. Um, I, was, I was out for three months, and... Um, my wife actually saw the 126 in a coming home parade from Desert Storm. Oh, really? And she said, hey, look at this. There's a, there's a guard unit at Chicago, and I knew nothing about it, right? Right. But then I went up there looking um, because I was looking for full-time employment too. And uh, obviously the recruiter said, well, you know, they don't usually hire a lot of people off the street. They like to see you uh, as a part-timer first. So I enlisted for three years in the guard and gave it a shot. And then a year later, I was full-time. Oh man, yeah. that, that is awesome. So what, what, um, well, I mean, I guess you answered that question, but why, why'd you choose the, the national guard? Yeah. So when I was active duty, I knew nothing about the guard. I was stationed with a, uh, with a reserve unit. So I knew a lot about the reserves, right. you know, or a little bit about the reserves. Um, but I knew nothing about the guard. And, um, like I said, I went up to Chicago and I started talking to a recruiter and there was a reserve unit and a guard unit at O'Hare, um, uh, the uh, the reserve unit had 130s and the guard unit had E model tankers, um, so I, I uh, signed up for three years in the guard uh, because it was an opportunity and um, the rest is history really. What you th- what was the difference 
Why'd you choose the guard over the reserves? I mean, what what, what was more? You know, I, I really don't know. I, I think the the guard recruiter was more receptive to the experience that I had. Um, I, I, there was an opening part time in the guidance control, which was the shop that I came into, um, and I really think that's the main reason. Right. Yeah. Wow. So you've had this long career uh, now. You've been you've been with the, how long have you been with uh, the wing? Since uh, 91 is when I joined. Right. Yeah. Who are some of those mentors that have helped you along to become uh, Chief Blankenship? Had a, a lot. So, um, you know, back in the day, we didn't really call it mentorship. Or, right. I mean, it might have been a, a term that was out there, but uh, we really didn't. I didn't say, hey, this is my mentor, even though now looking back at it, obviously I had a lot of mentors in my career. Uh, Chief Sinta being one of the key ones. Um, he's my predecessor as component maintenance. Um, he was the, he was in the shop when I first joined and then he was the shop chief shortly after that. Okay. Um, but, uh, chief Sinda taught me a lot along the ways. Um, sorry. It's all right. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, Again, we didn't call it mentorship. It sure. was it was just those lessons that he would take the time out to explain things to me. And um, you know, farther along in my career, as I as I made chief, um, Chief Sin was still here for a year after I made chief. Um, you know, I would ask him. I'd say, "Hey, how, how do you always know what to do?" And you know, he, he, laughingly, he would say, "I'm just winging it." Oh, good. Oh, God. That's good to hear. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not a good winger because, uh, you know, I'm kind of a rule follower. And, uh, and you know, I like, I like to have a plan, something structured. Um, he, he wasn't just winging it. You know, he would, he would say those things, but he, he obviously used his experience to, to guide him. He was a chief for 21 years. Um, right. And aside from him, you know, I've had other great mentors. Uh, you know, I would say uh, – um, Chief Erlenhagen, who's still here, is sure. a great mentor to me. I still rely heavily on his opinion. Um, oh, and he has opinions. <laughs> uh, edit that out, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Colonel Huckel uh, sure. has been a great mentor to me. Colonel Hendricks is, is one of the best leaders I've ever seen in my life, um, and uh, he has obviously been a, a great mentor to me. Um, there have been, been many. And, and it, you know, to tell you the truth, it's not always people who outrank you. Sometimes it's people who are younger than you that you can get some experience from or, you know, something that helps you along the way. So uh, I know that you're, you're into flying. You're flying, right? Are you working on your pilot's license or? No, I've been a private pilot since 98. Oh, you have? Yeah. What got you into uh, flying? So, um when I came in the Air Force, I was inertial navigation, which was, uh, you're like, what is inertial navigation? Yeah. Right? So inertial navigation is the ability of this uh, one system called INS. Okay. Inertial navigation system, which takes your present position, and then every time the, the component moves or the airplane moves with the component in it, it calculates where you now are. With the use of gyros and accelerometers, it can calculate where you're at. That's inertial navigation. In the most simplest form, right? Right. Um, but uh, learning that system or those systems, I spent eight months in tech school. You learn a lot about flying and navigation of what the air crew is doing, right? 
Um, so when I got out of tech school, I always thought, well, I should be able to do this. Like, this is something I should be able to do, you know? Yeah. And so uh, when I could afford it, I took flying lessons. And um, sometime around 98, I got my pilot's license and uh, really didn't do anything with it for a long time. And then I, when we moved down here, um, they had an aero club. It was pretty cheap to fly here. Uh, but then they closed the aero club. Okay. So uh, I, I was left with, well, what do I do now? And I didn't, I didn't want to go over to St. Louis. And, you know, it was very expensive over there. So I found this soaring club in Highland mm-hmm. and uh, started soaring, uh, which is gliders, right? Right. Um, and found that I really liked that aspect of aviation more than powered aviation um and yeah so what do you like more about the glide that's just it's it's a challenge so is it um you go up on a day that uh that there's big white puffy clouds hopefully to show you where there's lift at and uh it's a challenge to stay airborne but (laughs) you know for a 25 dollar tow you can then stay up as long as you as the air will allow you really yeah and then you just got to get it back to... Yeah, the goal is to make it back to the airport you started at. <laughs> okay. Um, but if you don't, if you, you know, hopefully you're within gliding distance of another airport that you can land at. Oh, wow. So, yeah. How long have you stayed in the air? Uh, I think my longest flight has been two and a half hours. Um, yeah. Is it quiet? Because you're gliding. You, there's... Uh, there's a lot of air noise. Oh, yeah, is there? A lot of noise from the wind around the cockpit, yeah. Do you have, uh, do you have uh, radio comms? Yeah, you have radio, and uh, you have uh, navigation, and, um, you know, there's an app on my phone that I can navigate by, plus you use maps, and uh, you're you're not going really fast, so it's not not hard to keep track of where you're at. How fast are you going? Uh, You know, the fastest, probably 90 knots at the fastest. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's not bad. Usually, you're tooling around at like 65 knots. Oh, wow, that's nice. You're not going fast at all. That's nice. Yeah. I got to ask, are you guys uh, raising another uh, Mission Capable Rate banner this year? Yeah, so six years in a row uh, from the fiscal year. Six years in a row, we've had the highest MC rate of all 135s, and that is definitely due to uh, the hard work, the sacrifices that, that the guys in the shop make every day. What's the Mission Critical? What is it called? Mission Critical? Oh, mission capable rate. Mission capable the rate. The mission capable rate. What's it? Do you know what it is this year? Uh, what were we at? Eighty eighty-eight point nine, I believe, is what we finished off with. Wow. Um, yeah, it's a good year. It's a really good year, uh, and that's the highest MC rate for all KC one thirty fives in the Air Force, uh, whether they be reserve, active duty, or guard, and that's six years in a row. Wow. And that is one hundred percent due to the the total group effort and the hard work and the knowledge of, of all those people that work in maintenance, keeping those jets flying. All right. Thanks chief master sergeant Dave Blankenship for joining us today. He's with the one twenty sixth maintenance group over there in the, the maintenance squadron. Uh, I hope to see you in Poland in, uh, in May. So I won't be in Poland this year because oh. I am doing CENTCOM this year, but next year we'll do it again. Force, I'm Staff Sergeant Javon Smith. 
Operation Christmas Drop is an annual Air Force tradition of packing, transporting, then delivering food, tools, and clothing to 55 remote islands in the southeastern Pacific, like the Republic of Palau and the Federated States of Micronesia. It's the longest-running humanitarian mission in the Department of Defense, flying out of Anderson Air Base, Guam. Bruce Best, also known as Brother Bruce, is a volunteer for Operation Christmas Drop, working as the island liaison radio operator. He helps by coordinating drops in locations between the outer islands and air crews, ensuring the safety of local islanders. Christmas Drop is just magical because there's no ship to some of these islands for five or six months. And sometimes that's just a random yacht, you know, so there's no mail, there's no medicines coming in. Uh, so with the Christmas drop, we can just drop right into their island and give them things they need. A uh, little stuff for Christmas for the kids and everything from fish hooks to parachutes. The week-long event is possible through the joint efforts of airmen from Anderson's 36th Wing, Joint Base Hickam Pearl Harbor's 15th Wing, the 374th Airlift Wing from Yokota Air Base Japan, along with Pacific partner nations. Christmas Drop acts as both humanitarian mission and training operation, allowing for low-cost, low-altitude airdrops which are critical to improving practices for real-world humanitarian and disaster relief missions. Operation Christmas Drop has the attention of the entire world and is especially important in this very challenging and vast region where friendship, trust, and support underpin a free and open Indo-Pacific. All pilots and aircrew flying the missions followed COVID-19 safety protocols. All donations were handled by participants wearing gloves and face masks, as well as observing recommended hygiene habits and social distancing. And that's your look around the Air Force. If you're having thoughts of suicide or know someone in crisis, it can be a tough time uh, this time of year. The military crisis line is 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Press 1. There's a chat, uh, chat lifeline. Also, you can uh, chat through their website, uh, suicidepreventionlifeline.org. That's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Org. Another way to get help is the crisis text line. You can text H-E-L-P to 838-255, the crisis text line. Again, text HELP, H-E-L-P to 838-255. You can find all of our links on Linktree, linktr.ee forward slash 126ARW. If you're watching on Facebook or YouTube, you can also download this on your favorite podcast app. I'm uh, here with my son, uh, Sam Ellison, hanging out with me uh, just the, the day before Christmas Eve. It's the, the 23rd, so you'll be hearing this uh, on Christmas Eve. Uh, so, uh, Sam, uh, how's, your, how, how's your time been here at the wing? You, you, excited, you excited to be here, hang out with me at uh, work? Yeah. Yeah, you like it? Yeah. What, what do you like about it? This and you being an old grumpy man. Why am I an old grumpy man? Because <laughs> you're 47. I'm 47, but what? What is that? Gonna, how am I grumpy? I don't know. I'm you just sorry. Yeah, I'm just grumpy. Yeah. Oh man, you're giving away all my secrets. <laughs> you're loud through the door. What? You're loud through the door. I'm loud through the door. Yep. Yeah, you not. Yeah, everybody would agree with you on that. I'm loud through the door. This is a very true statement. 
If you want to pass along some information, you can uh, email roll call at 126ARW. That's 126.ARW.PA.MM.ORG at us.af.mil. It is the uh, end of the year. Uh, just uh, It's Christmas Eve, I guess, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Sam. So what I'm going to do is uh, end this podcast uh, that's being re- released right here on uh, Christmas Eve with a soldier's silent night. You're saying, wait, wait, wait a minute. Uh, Soldier Silent Night uh, was written by Lance Corporal James Schmidt. He wrote uh, he wrote this while serving as the battalion counter sniper at the Marine Corps barracks in Washington, D.C. He wrote it while he and his uh, fellow Marines waited for the commanding officer's Christmas holiday decoration inspection in about, uh, it was about 1983, I think he wrote this. While other Marine Corps decorated the barracks for the annual Christmas decoration contest, uh, Lance Corporal Schmidt contributed uh, his poem to uh, to his poem to the to the section. Over the years, the text of "Merry Christmas, My Friend" has been altered to change Marine-specific wording into the more generic term "soldier" that relates to everybody in uh, in the military. Uh, and uh, to incorporate the line-ending rhyme changes necessitated by those alterations. Uh, I don't know if you remember this, Sam. I used to do this uh, when we were on the air in Gillette. When I was on the air in Gillette, I Wyoming. Know. Yeah. You remember? I used to do this song, uh, do this song, this poem, uh, play this poem. Is, uh, it, is it from um, Festivus? Festivus no. for the rest of us? Festivus? No, it's not. It is Festivus today, which we should wish everybody a, a, hope, uh, a belated Festivus, which is December 23rd. Uh, go watch Seinfeld. We celebrate it in our family, Festivus, which will... But uh, back to A Soldier's Silent Night. It was recorded by Father Ted Berndt, an Episcopal priest from Wisconsin who was a Marine and a Purple Heart recipient. He recorded it in uh, the 2000s. Uh, and uh, I want to play that uh, for you for uh, Christmas and the holidays. Thanks for listening to Roll Call, a 126th Air Refueling Wing podcast focused on people, mission, and community. I'm Master Sergeant Brian Ellison. Twas the night before Christmas. He lived all alone in a one-bedroom house made of plaster and stone. I had come down the chimney with presents to give and to see just who in this dwelling did live. I looked all around, a strange sight to see. No tinsel, no presents, not even a tree. No stockings on the mantel, just boots filled with sand. On the wall hung pictures of far distant lands. Medals and badges, awards of every kind. A sobering thought came alive in my mind. This house was different. It was dark, it was dreary. I had found the home of a soldier. I could see that most clearly. The soldier lay sleeping, silent, alone, curled up on the floor in this one-bedroom home. His face was so gentle, the room in such disorder, not at all how I pictured a United States soldier. Was this the hero of whom I'd just read? 
curled up on a poncho, the floor for a bed. Then I realized the other families that I saw this night owed their lives to soldiers who were willing to fight. In the morning round the world, children would play. Grown-ups would celebrate a bright Christmas day. But they all enjoy freedom each month of the year because of soldiers like the one lying here. I couldn't help but wonder how many lay alone on a cold Christmas Eve in lands far from home. The very thought put a tear to my eye. I dropped to my knees and I started to cry. The soldier awakened. I heard his rough voice. Santa, don't cry. This life is my choice. I fight for freedom. I don't ask for more. My life is my God, my country, my core. The soldier rolled over and drifted to sleep. But I couldn't control it and I continued to weep. I kept watch for hours, so silent and still as both of us shivered from the cold night's chill. I didn't want to leave him on that cold, dark night, this guardian of honor so willing to fight. Then the soldier rolled over with a voice soft and pure. He whispered, Carry on, Santa. It's Christmas Day. All's secure. One look at my watch, I knew he was right. Merry Christmas, my friend. May God bless you this night. Before we go, thanks for listening to Roll Call. Ooh, Penny. <laughs> thanks, kid. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to keep that. Am I? <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs>